Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. When the leader and ministry, when Christ is supreme. What it looks like when the leader and the ministry, I had the wording just a little different here, the leader and the ministry when Christ is supreme. Paul here, go, he, he gets personal here. He actually starts in verse 24, but he gets personal and he begins to deal with them um, in his apostolic authority. And he actually just kind of shares that kind of heavier than most because these were people that never actually met Paul face to face. These people came to Christ through one of Paul's associates, Epaphras. And he is the one that evangelized them along with the city called Laodicea. We hear about them later on in the book of Revelation, and it ain't good. But here it actually was. These, this is how they were evangelized. This is how they were reached. And Paul didn't. How many of us know it doesn't have to be a particular person that God does ministry through? Sometimes the ministry influences with someone else, not you, And even though you may have had a hand in it or you may have a hand in encouraging them, you're not the point person in their life. And that's okay. And in this particular case, that's what happened. And so he is wanting to encourage people that he's not met because he knew that false teaching was threatening the fellowship. And by doing so, he just begins to share his heart and his authority. And as he's doing that, his desire is that they would um, they would grow in their faith. But as I saw this and looked at it, this is just a good example of what you should expect. What you should expect of a leader and of a ministry that is underneath the supremacy of Christ. Remember, this is the series in Colossians that we're talking about is supreme. What life looks like when Christ is supreme. And so today I want to say, what does a leader and a ministry look like? We saw last week the first part of it. And today I want to be able to finish off on that. And, and I think this is a great one for, for enduring pastor's appreciation because I would appreciate if you held all those who lead you to that standard and you don't let them off the hook. Or I should say you don't let us off the hook. That you have in sight what God is expecting. Now granted, we are not the Apostle Paul and we don't have that apostolic authority in ministry as he did. We're not creating any new, new, um, any new messages. Anything we get is because the scriptures have been brought to life, have been, have been illuminated for us. There is no new revelation, and you don't need a new revelation from the Lord. You just need illumination of the current revelation and obedience to that revelation, and you'll see some change. We got folks today that all you're looking for is a new revelation. And really, that's dangerous because it is that novelty that we want. Give me something new. I'm tired of the old. Well, you know, my question is always is, what are you doing with the old? Is it, is it changing you? Has it changed you? Is it doing anything in your life? Is it not? If it's not, stick with the old. That's like a person who is studying math and says, go on and give me calculus. Bro, you can't even handle trigonometry. You can't even handle algebra. You, want, you don't want calculus. And I remember, I didn't want it. I had to take it. 
requirement for my degree major, but I was just like, yeah, y'all can have that now. My wife, on the other hand, she just loves it. God wires us differently. But this morning, when we get into this, I want us to see what we should expect, can expect, and how we are as we are ministering in any context. Please get out of your mind that ministry is only this or the ushers at the door or the deacons or elders. Ministry is however God calls you to serve, period. Wherever that is, however that is, according to his word. And as you do that, sometimes you will be leaning even if you don't want to. By nature of who you are and what you're doing, sometimes there is leadership that's involved and God wants to prep and shape your heart. Oh, you don't have to have a title to be a leader. We know that. All you need is people who are willing to follow you. And some of us have got people following that we are not even aware of. Many of us are leading, but I have to ask you a question. Where are you leading people? I had to ask that of someone once. Had to ask them that they want to be famous or infamous. And person asked me, what's the difference? Y'all know because y'all laughing right now. Famous is when you're known for doing something great, beneficial, helpful. Infamous is when you're known for doing something dumb. You really messed up. But both of them, many times, is people that are leading people, whether intentionally or unintentionally, they are leading people somewhere. And I want to ask you that we all, in some space, are leading people. It may not be under a title. It may not be with this ministry scope, but you're leading. And so this message is for you as well, not just for those that hold the title of pastor, elder, ministry leader, or whatever else you want to put there. So let's pray. We'll read the text, and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to be in your word. Thank you, Lord, that you give us this space to be together. You give us this space, O Lord, to be able to to worship, to fellowship, to encourage, to prod on, Lord, to correct, to rebuke. Thank you for all of this, that we may grow, that we may be in you. And so, Father, we pray for your wisdom and for your insight and for your understanding. Help our hearts to be soft enough to receive your word and disciplined enough to obey it. We ask you this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's read together. It says, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version, verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach, all, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. 
the leader and ministry when Christ is supreme. We are seeing here that Paul is setting the stage. He knows that he is wanting to get this community of believers straight or to keep them straight and from veering off. They want to, he wants to keep them on the right road. He doesn't want them to exit off. If any of you have used any form of GPS, whether it's Google or some um, Google Maps, Apple Maps, some form of directional navigation assistance. When you're on the highway, sometimes you wonder why it'll tell you, for instance, you know, to keep left. Many times I use the GPS still on my way here. I could drive this with my eyes closed. I don't, but I could. Um, and and. And the reason I use it is that I want to see traffic patterns. I want to see that if there's traffic up ahead, it'll tell me and it may reroute me. Those times that I've chosen not to do it, I've gotten stuck and I've been mad. God, I don't like traffic. But one of the things that it will do for me as I'm coming along, there are a couple of exits on my route. And it will intermittently say, in a mile, keep left. And what it's telling me, don't exit. I'll go further down in a mile, keep left. And I'm like, I'm not getting off. I'm staying on the highway. But what it's making sure is that I don't get off. I stay on course. And that's what Paul is actually doing here. But I want you to understand the context in which he is doing this. See, we see this verse, especially as Western society and more specifically as Americans, we see this verse just individualistically. That's all we see as individuals. Make sure you yourself don't veer off. But that's not the context that Paul has this in. When you look and you see Colossians, although there is personal responsibility, you are responsible for how you live your life in faith. And you come to Christ individually. We all do. There is no grandfather clause in Christianity. Grandma can pray for you, but she ain't bringing you into the kingdom. That Christ is salvation. Mom may have prayed. I know my mother prayed vigorously for me, my little silly self. I know she did, but I'm not saved because of my mother's salvation. But that being said, understand that the way your faith, your Christianity, your life in Christ, your, your submission to Christ is lived out is never individual. It is always lived out in the context of a community. And when you see the scriptures written, it backs that up all the time. And in this case, it's no exception. And so the leader when Christ, the leader in ministry when Christ is supreme, just understand that context, which will be one of our points. But the first thing that I want us to realize is that the leader and ministry when Christ is supreme had number one has a burden for believers that causes them to struggle. They have a burden for believers that becomes a great struggle. Understand that. Don't think that any of your leaders, this is just a cakewalk. If they're taken seriously, and I said this last week, if they're taking this seriously as Christ wants them to, it is hard. Why is it hard? Well, for Paul it was, and these are people that he hadn't even met. These are folk that Epaphras told him about and that he learned about and knew now that they were growing in faith, but then he also heard that there was danger now coming. And that danger was that there were false teachers trying to elevate 
segments of them, trying to let them know, hey, you can be this elite group like us. You can be this group that has all the wisdom and knowledge like us. You really don't need Christ to do that. And even if some did and most didn't, what we want to realize that error, false teaching divides. That is one of the biggest things. Yeah, not only does it mess with you individually and it puts you on a course to ruin, but it causes the community to be fractured. We see that all the time. Think of those that have bought right now into doctrine, into teaching that is off base from Scripture. And have you tried to connect with them? They usually walk away, don't want to be bothered, fractioned, trying to pull others away. They're stirring up trouble, always in the middle of mess. Error divides. Truth in Christ brings together. See, when you are living and growing in the truth, here's how I know. Even if it's someone else who's in error, you are not in this, I'm going to fight and you aren't part of me mode. You're trying to reconcile people. You're trying to help people to come back. You're, you may rebuke, but your rebuke is not, see, I told you. No, your rebuke is, bro, you are, you, are, you are not on base, and let me show you where you are. But the context, and we'll see that next, is what is so important. But it says that it has a burden for the believer that causes a struggle. He says in verse 1, for I want you to know how great a struggle. And this struggle is, is how great of a, of a contest, how, how great of a conflict this is. How much work, how much toil, how much pressing, how I have to fight, how I have to contend to make sure that you stay on track. And for some of us, your leadership influence is the same way. You got some friends that you are just like, man, y'all are causing me grief. I just want you to walk right in the Lord, and it just seems like a struggle. I just want to go peace. I'm done with y'all. Whether it's family members, friends, coworkers, church members, it doesn't matter. Sometimes because of our heart for Christ and the leadership role we may have in their lives, it brings about a burden that causes us to struggle. What's the struggle? Struggling to help you to, to, to be on point and on the right path while I keep myself on the right path. Because how many of us know sometimes when you are dealing with trying to help other folk to get right, you end up getting wrong. I told that dude, I, I just, I mean, he just gets on my nerve. Watch yourself. Your heart is starting to go. You're trying to get someone right. Or your struggle against sin this week, I was looking at Hebrews 12, that has just stayed to me in, 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 your, in, your, in your struggle against sin. He tells us, don't get weary. Don't get weary. Why would the writer of Hebrews tell us not to get weary, not to let a root of bitterness come up in your life. Because when you are struggling against sin, and the writer of Hebrews, the group that he was writing to says, which yet your struggle against sin hasn't caused you to shed any blood. But he said, your struggle against sin will tire you out. 
if you don't keep the right perspective. So in Hebrews, he says, look, consider him. And he was talking about Jesus who received this grief, this opposition, this struggle from sinners. And the whole context is those that he came to actually save from sin were biting him. Those that he were trying to rescue from the fire were fighting him. Dude, don't you know I'm trying to rescue you? Nah, you're not. You're getting in my business, so I'm fighting you. Don't you know I'm trying to save you some grief? No, you're not. You're messing up my fun, so I'm fighting you. Don't you know I'm trying to keep you from going astray? No, you're not. You're just old. You just don't know. See, the issue is when you are in rescue mode in ministry and you are leading, sometimes those who you are saving fight back. How many of you have lifeguard training? Any? Any in here? For those, I know my son has had, he's not here, but my son has had lifeguard. One of the things that they teach you is when you are going out to save someone, you need to be careful that they don't take you down. So some of the instruction is let them wear themselves out. And when they are about done and are in the process of giving up, then they're ready to be rescued. That's just physical lifeguard training. You've seen it. We've seen them. They go out to save them, and you are so nervous. Help. I just need, and, and your arms flashing, and, and, and you take you and the lifeguard down. But sometimes what they do, I'm going to let you wear your little self out. Or sometimes it means you have to knock you out. Hey, hey look, look, I got to help you. Uh, because now I know in order to rescue you, I can't let you take me down. And for some of us, I'm just saying right now, when you are in ministry to help people grow, you have to. God just reminds you, be sure that in your struggle, Go back to the verses before in chapter one that your struggle is with his energy, because if you're struggling with your energy, guess what you're going to do? You're going to quit. You're going to get tired of them folk. You're going to get mad at them. They're not worth my time. They're not worth all these gray hairs. Oh, well, mine are gone, but y'all get the point. See, here's the issue. They have a burden that causes them to struggle, but the struggle is with the energy and the strength of Christ so that you always make sure you are not veering off in the process. So that's point number one. <clears throat> they have a burden for believers that causes a struggle. Number two, they understand when uh, you know, the, um, the leader in the ministry, when Christ is supreme, they understand the context for spiritual growth um, and that it is a loving community. Verse two. He says, well, first let me read again. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. There's a lot, but I just want you to see just that main part. He says, he says that, that, that I want them to be encouraged. And we're going to see that as one of our other points. But he he puts a parenthesis there. He pauses and says, being knit, knit together in love. 
he qualifies the context for the encouragement and for the community. He says, my desire is that they would be encouraged through this opposition to divide them because of the false teaching that is coming at you. But then he says, the context, while they're being knit together in love. How many of you, how many of you sew seamstresses or you do any kind of one? Anyone else? Come on, I, I know others. Okay, how many of you have sewn anything ever in your life? There you go. Right. When you try to repair a button or you've done something, when you knit, the reason you knit and you don't just stick something on with glue is because there is a greater chance that it will stay together, right? Have you ever had a shirt that had a decal that's been pressed on versus knitted on? Number one, the price is higher, knitted. And number two, your decal has a greater chance of staying on after several washes. Why? Because when you knit something, when you sew something, the whole point is it's a stronger bond. That's why you're doing it. When you knit two garments, I mean two pieces of garment together, you don't intend for it to fall apart. The intention is for it to remain actually permanently. Well, permanently in the, in the sense of no garment lasts forever. But as long as it's being worn. And so is the case here is that when he says that being knit together in love, he's saying that the context for the growth of these people is that there is a knitting. There is a strong bonding through the faith, through Christ in them that 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 it is hard to separate. So his goal isn't just for that the individual Christian will be encouraged to remain faithful to the truth of God's word. He is saying that that the Christian community growing and being knitted together under the truth of God's word is being encouraged to live in the truth. Folk, understand that if we have allowed ourselves to be divided what we are showing is that we are not in the context of what was intended by Christ. The whole context for the church is this community of love. Love, and please, let's get the mushy Hollywood version out of our mind. Love is the knitting material that is bringing us together. What kind of love? Well, let's start off with the love that God had for you and me. You and I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for the strong love of Christ that went against us not even wanting him, not even thinking about him, for some of us cussing his very name, not wanting to be anywhere around him until he won our hearts over. For some of us, think about that. Some of us act like, you know what, I just didn't know, and one day he came and I said, yes, Lord. As if there was no, like, I don't want that. Why would I want to be a Christian? Why would I want to do that with my life? There's nothing I would have with that. Jesus, I don't want that religious thing. Or if you grew up in a Christian home, sometimes you thought, man, if my mom and dad didn't make me, I'd be nowhere near this place. I've had those times in my life too. I didn't say anything because there was no discussion in my mother's house. And so I was there. But then that came the time when 
I wasn't there because I was under her watchful eye. I was there because I was under the watchful eye of the Lord and I valued that. And his love won me over. But his love did something because love does. Love isn't, love isn't just is, it just doesn't exist. Love does something. And when you look at the book of Corinthians, if you wanted to use that, every one of those terms there, uh, they're verbs. When it says love does or does not, here's what it does. And here's what it does. Here is what it doesn't do. They're verbs. And so when it says that you being knit together in love, he is saying that the love that God had for you, that you now, that you've seen it and it's been modeled for you, you now have toward one another keeps you together. Does that mean that you ignore um, um, false teaching, that you ignore lies? No, but it doesn't mean that I'm fighting you because somehow I think you're wrong. Do we do that with our children that we say we love? Those of you who have children, do we do that with our family members that we love? Sometimes we do. We can be out of sorts and out of pocket. But the whole issue is that's not what God is calling us to. Even in the rebuking, even in the correcting, even in the straightening out is in the context of, man, I love you. I'm not trying just to, just to mess with your fun and get in your business. I see where you're going and it's not right. As I look at the word of God, I can't let you, I can't let you do that and not say something. Some of y'all got folk mad at you right now because you stepped in their lives and you said something when no one else would because you actually love them. You did something that they didn't like, but they later came around and said, man, I'm so glad you did that. I'm so glad you said something. I'm so glad you were there. Everyone else was just letting me go along. And you actually stopped. And that lets me know you love me. See, this community in context of love is the love of God, which wants the best according to God's standard for people with an attitude and a heart of humility in the process. This arrogance that comes about because we have the truth is not of Christ. So not only do they have a burden for believers that causes a struggle and they understand the context for spiritual growth is a loving community. They point people to the greatest treasure, Jesus Christ himself. He says that he wants their hearts to be encouraged, encouraged in what? Encouraged in the truth. And he says he wants their hearts <clears throat> knitted together in love so that they reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. I'm saying it for a second here. His whole prayer is this. He says, when you have come to full conviction, that's the assurance part. When you've come to full conviction that the truths that are coming out of Christ are the greatest treasure that you can have, he says, then you are on the road to spiritual maturity and growth. What he said, he says, I pray that they have full assurance of this knowledge and wisdom that comes by the Spirit imparting that the Spirit of God is giving it to you as you read his word. Remember, there is no new word. All the word we need, we have. 
And so you open up the scriptures and you begin to read. And just because you read doesn't mean that you're going to understand. Let me give you just a testimony on that. Before I came to Christ, now I grew up in the church from when I was five, but came to Christ right I mean, right before my freshman year in high school, so I, I can't tell you the date. I know some people can, but it was around that time when I was turning 13. So between five and 13, that's eight years of being involved in all the Christmas programs and, and, and all the Bible competitions, wasn't saved, and all that other stuff that was seed and being watered until one day, no no grand fanfare at all, sitting beside my mother in church. I can't even tell you the message that it was. I don't even remember. All I remember is when the call came at the end, like I do now, I sat there fully convicted and prayed, bowed my head because I was surely not coming up front. I was way too scared in that large church that I prayed right beside my mom and turned my life over to Christ. Eight years under the Bible, fully, every Sunday. But something happened. I remember, because you, you know, growing up in youth ministry and was involved in all that, I had just heard, you know, you should be reading, you should be reading. And I would read, and I go, I don't understand a thing I'm reading. And then I got really crazy. I was like, maybe this was a prelude to what was going to happen later in my life. I was like, I wanted to read the book of Job. And I was like, dude, that was the worst book that you want. I really didn't understand that. Then I ventured into Revelation, got scared and closed it. I really didn't want to venture into that. I would just read all the horror stuff. It's like somebody should have told me, start with John, dude, it'll help you out. No one told me that. But I remember after I came to Christ, I remember picking up my Bible again, and it as if someone had turned on the light. I just began to understand it, and it began to excite me. I was like, holy smoke, did you see this? You go to people that have been in the Word forever. Yo, did you see this? And they're like, I know they're like, we saw it a long time ago, but they didn't do that with me. They were like, really? And they got excited with me. What was happening? Was it some new word that I was getting from the Lord? No. The illumination of the Spirit turned on the lights, and I began to understand the Scripture that was always there. And right in front, and for some of us, that happened. And for us, it should still be happening. And if it's not happening, then, then, then check the connection. If you are not getting it, check the connection. I remember the time, boy, one of the most embarrassing, when I was trying to make a piece of, of, of equipment work and couldn't and couldn't, and, and the person came up and said, you know, the most basic, yo, is it plugged in? I was like, well, of course it's plugged. Not plugged in, I'm sorry. <laughs> Peace worked wonderfully. For some of us, there may not be a connection. But when that connection is made, the light will come on and you will begin to know exactly what it is of who Jesus is. We can teach you a whole lot of things. And there are some folk, boy, they are, they are telling you some of everything but Jesus. If it doesn't start with and center on Christ, You've got the wrong foundation. That build is not going up very far and is not lasting very long. Oh, there are other things that you can hang on and around it that will help you. How do I handle relationships? How do I handle injustices? How do I handle life with other people? How do I handle my world and my context? We can give you information on that, but if it doesn't hang 
on who Jesus is. And if he isn't the treasure in your life, then all he is is a genie for you. All he is is your next great experience. Come on, Jesus, give me something new. That's why we in church. I need to feel something. No, you need to follow something. You don't need to feel anything. When you begin to follow, feelings come along. See, for many of us, we are trying to be led by feelings. And for all oh, you, you know, that can be good sometimes. But sometimes, boy, they say, follow your heart. I say, please don't. Because that little thing is wicked. And the feelings that will come out of that sometimes, you better turn that off. See, the issue is when you follow his lead and his word, and when Jesus becomes the center focus and you are in obedience, even if you don't feel like it and you follow, boy, the feeling that comes of being approved by God and God being happy with the way that you're living. No, you're not trying to perform for God, but you want him to be approving of your life or your lifestyle. And so when it says that that points the person to Jesus, he says, I want you to reach all the riches. And I like this because it is full. It is rich when you understand and you know. Knowledge is that information which God gives you that you would not have uncovered otherwise. Understanding is the now appropriate use of that knowledge because you've learned how to handle it. See, you can know of you can know something, but how does a teacher know when you understand the subject? When you pass that test, when you're able to work out those formulas. I told you before, geometry was was my kryptonite. Hated that class. As saying nothing to all you who love it good, as I told you before, it's the only class I ever had to repeat in high school. Only class I failed, first and last. Didn't like that feeling. And I remember that class, I just, I just couldn't, couldn't get it. And the teacher knew because what I gave as answers, and, you know, they would always say, show your work. And they looked at my work, and I know that teacher said, this boy don't know nothing about what he's doing when they saw that. Because I had no understanding. Oh, I had knowledge. I could tell you about the theorems and I can tell you about the, all the different. I can tell you about it. But when I finally understood it and I put them things together and I got the answer and I realized, oh, I actually understand this thing. See, for many of us, we have knowledge, but we've not embraced it to where we have understanding. And understanding comes from obedience, by the way. When your heart, you go, okay, God, I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to follow this. And you begin to grow. Understanding comes. Why? You know how to apply God's word. You're not just some sort of knowledge tree spitting out answers. Well, you know if. Well, you know that. And I want to turn around and ask some of the people, well, do you know? Because the way I see you living, you act like you don't know. How many of us as parents have ever asked our kids, you know, you know do you know, you will say something. They go, I know that. My mom had an answer for that. I used to say that. I was like, I know that, mom. And she would say, well, you don't act like it. Boy, I, I, I didn't know how biblical that statement was. 
Yeah, you know it, but you don't understand it because you're not applying it. And so that leader and that ministry doesn't just want you to know truths about God as if we're going to have a test for you to write down what you know. No, that leader and that ministry wants you to understand what it means to put this knowledge in the practice. Thus, you're on your way. Thus, you start growing. They point people to the greatest treasure, and I like this. He says here in verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Is Jesus your treasure, or do you just want something from him? Jesus, give me, check out your prayers. Seriously, listen to your prayers. Are they, oh, Jesus, can you give me? Oh, Lord, can I have? Oh, Father, can you bless me with? If that is the content of your prayers, I want to propose maybe you don't have a God. You might just have a genie or you think you do. You just have a sugar daddy. Can you give me? Oh, I know you loaded. I know you got it. God, I want what you got. How many of us would love a relationship like that? People always coming up only to ask you for what you have, and they never want you. I'm going to ask some of our married folk, how long would your marriages last if the person that you, know, you were interested in or was interested in you, you know, you, know, you were interested in that, that all they want, they only came around and asked you for stuff. That was it. Never was excited about being with you, but they loved what you have. So for us, can I ask how much more with the Lord? See, the leader in the ministry here says, in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Number one, do you treasure the, the, the knowledge and the wisdom that the Spirit is giving? Is, is it your treasure? Because if it is, then it says, you're not just looking for the treasure. Scripture tells us you're looking for him. He is the treasure. And it's not hidden, but is that as you get to know him, you get to uncover more and more treasure. There are more and more nuggets. And we are figuring that out now. There are many of us who be like, man, okay, man, I just, today I got this nugget, you know. And really what you're saying is I got to know Jesus even more. And man, I'm so more, I'm, 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 I'm even more in love with him. I'm even more excited about him. Says no one. Man, I just sought after the Lord, and I don't like what I see. No, then you're still seeking for yourself. See, the issue becomes that that leader in ministry points people to the greatest treasure, Jesus himself. Make sure that this ministry and, and any ministry that you has does that. The great, No matter what, I don't trunk or treat, no matter how much candy we give out, no matter how many meals we give out, no matter how much we give away or we help or we do for folk, if we don't share with them that Jesus is the treasure, we are shortchanging them. We are not doing them a service. And then lastly, lastly, he prevents delusion the leader or the ministry prevents delusion by plausible arguments. This one hit me. 
Paul says, I'm telling you all of this. He says, I'm giving you the reason why I'm saying this. Those first few verses, he says, I say this that no one may delude you, pull the wool over, bamboozle you, deceive you, that they would not delude you, I like this, with plausible arguments. Some of us think that 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 false teaching is going to come and it's just going to be like, I ah, see, I see that. And that is at times. It comes and we say, I see that for what it is. It's false. Nah, I'm not messing with that. No, nah, that's foolishness. But sometimes that false teaching will come and it sounds plausible. Well, that could be. You ever had someone, well, it could happen. That could be. Well, yeah, but if these other truths did not apply, but since they do, but here's what he's saying. Some of these arguments are so well-crafted that they are plausible if it weren't for Christ being who he is. That's why when you point people back to Jesus, those plausible arguments become impossible arguments. See, the issue becomes when I start arguing with you based on things that aren't centered on Christ and we start getting into these little debates over plausible arguments, we start going around in circles. Like I told you, whenever they come to my door, they don't come anymore. I almost want them to come. I want to look out in the neighborhood and ask, why aren't y'all coming to my house anymore? But when they come, and so we get right to the center of it. See, because they're saying, could it be that Jesus is not who you say he It's plausible that he's not God, but he's a good prophet. It's plausible that he's not the savior of the world, but he's a good teacher with some good things to say about your life. That's, and, and honestly, that's how some people teach him today. He's just a good teacher that'll teach you some good things so that you can live your life well. And all Jesus is to you is a good coach. That's all he is. How to make your life better in 12 steps. Come to Jesus. But they base all those things on plausible arguments. Well, maybe he's not. Look, how do you know the Bible is true? Come on, you've had, and, and hold on a second. Let me go back. And let's focus on that. Jesus point again, because this is where I take your plausible arguments and they become impossible arguments, because if Jesus is who he says he is and he's proven that in a number of ways, then these things hang to be true. And if these things hang to be true, what you're saying is implausible. But we've got to get there. And we've got to leave people there. And we've got to keep them there. Why? Because we don't want them to be won over with arguments that sound good, but are not good underneath. And so he says, look, that doesn't even require me to be around you to do that. They prevent delusion by plausible arguments. And I will just add to that. And they don't require you to be present all the time. If your ministry requires you to be in their face and controlling them all the time, you may be trying to be their God. Let Jesus grow them up. 
Let God be their God and you just be an encouragement. Let God be their God and you be someone that points them in the right direction. Let God deal with their heart. I don't know what they're doing. I know you don't, but God's like, but I do. So if you leave them to me, I'll make sure I work it out. Pray for them. Be an example to them. Live for Christ around them. Love them. Help them to decipher error from truth in a loving context. And when you do, when I am their treasure and they don't talk about you more than they talk about me, I'll grow them up. And for us today, that's the kind of ministry that we want. So I'm going to ask you, you need to check out all the time. Is that ministry that you're following, is that leader that you're under? Do they have a burden? Do they have a burden for believers that causes them to struggle? Do they understand that the context um, for spiritual growth is a loving community? Do they point people to the greatest treasure, Jesus Christ himself? And do they work to prevent delusion by plausible arguments, even if they don't have to be physically present with you? And if that's the case, you're in a good space. But more than that, I hope you become that kind of leader. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.